0: Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in
1: Detroit, Michigan, it's time for Detroit Business Radio. Now, here's your host. Lee Cantor here, another episode of Detroit Business Radio, and today's episode is brought to you in part by Activate Your Great Consulting Agency. I'm Lee Cantor, and today's guest is Shelly McIntosh, and she is with Child Focus Consulting Company. Welcome, Shelly. Thank you. Well, I'm excited to learn what you're up to. Tell us about Child Focus Consulting Company. How are you serving folks?
0: Okay. Well, Child Focused Consulting Company really started in 2005 in Texas, uh, where I resided at the time, even though Detroit is my home city. But it, it previously started out with providing professional development for teachers, because at that time I was a professor at the University of Houston downtown In the teacher education program. And um, that was the initial purpose. But now we have branched off into providing literacy intervention in schools because there is um, a literacy crisis, which we can talk about a little later. But uh, Child Focus is focused on literacy and being able to. Provide the reading skills that children need.
1: So, now how did um, kind of literacy become your passion and uh, the focus of your career? Like, what drew you to literacy as a cause?
0: First, I've been a principal also in my journey, my professional journey, and I recognized that the children were not uh, up to literacy standards. And the basic problem was reading foundational skills. And so I asked myself, how did I learn to read? And I began to do some research on how reading is taught in America. One article that really inspired me was the one written by Ed Reardon. He wrote it in Educational Leadership in 2013. And he stated that if the reading gap cannot be closed, then the children of today will be unable to take care of themselves as adults because now reading is correlated with income. And that even sparked me more. And so I traveled back in time to review and research how reading was taught and discovered that reading instruction really changed in the late 70s. And that's because a whole language philosophy was adopted. And just briefly, the whole language approach is that children learn to read naturally and that they can read by just memorizing whole words. But the latest neuroscience research has um, stated that that's a flawed premise. So in order to provide this literacy I believed that we were also providing a quality of life for children. So that was my passion.
1: Now, was this something that um, we were always struggling with as a as a country and a culture, that, that it was difficult to teach people to read and then we had to fix it in the 70s and we tried this new approach? Or were we making progress but it wasn't good enough so we decided to change kind of uh, the way we do it? Like, how did... How were we doing before the 70s? Were, was literacy rates the same or worse? Like, I don't understand why we shifted gears in the 70s. And if it's not working, why do we continue doing it that way?
0: Right. So in the late 70s, there was not so much of a, a reading gap between uh, African-American children and Caucasian children. And the reading literacy rate was higher among all people. So there are two camps in the field of education. One is phonics and one is whole language. So it is basically a philosophical position. And so the whole language uh, advocates, because they were adults, thought that they learned to read by memorizing whole words and did not understand that the brain has to go through some specific major readjustments to transmit a spoken language that's represented in a symbolic language through the alphabets, that that has to be done explicitly. And so the camps, phonics and whole language were at odds. In the late 70s, the state of California adopted whole language. As we know, there is, uh, in every state, there is a Department of Education. But California is one of the largest purchasers of textbooks. Then Texas adopted the whole language approach. And they, they are the second largest purchaser of textbooks. So this flawed premise passed through teacher education programs. As I said before, I was a professor and I saw how the whole language approach was implemented and integrated into the text and into teaching potential teachers how to teach reading. So it seems to be not only a flawed premise, but also a profit-making premise because everything was changed in terms of textbooks for teachers, workbooks for children, reading materials for children. So many children fell through the cracks in the, in these past 30 or 40 years. And um, that type of approach to reading, the whole language approach, was not effective.
1: So now... In fact,
0: in fact, it failed children.
1: So now you're going into these same places and then kind of teaching them the more traditional phonics approach of uh, reading and literacy?
0: Yes. And even teaching that, it has to be done in a certain method or process. So I use the direct instruction model that was created by Dr. Siegfried Engelman in in the late 70s. Because again, there was this question, these children can't read and he said, well, I can teach them to read. And so we use the direct instruction model, which addresses basic reading foundational skills. So to make it clear, we learn language naturally. We don't even have to have a class as infants. All we need is someone speaking the language and uh, hardwired within our little infant systems, We count the number of sounds that we hear in that language. And before the parents know it, we are speaking that specific language. So with the alphabets, which represent the sounds of language, those have to be taught explicitly. So reading foundational skills began with phonemic awareness, being able to hear the sounds of language and then moving to phonics, equating that sound with a letter.
1: And then when you do it this way, uh, you find that the child can learn, uh, get better results in less time?
0: Yes. I've taught children to read before kindergarten. And that's why this literacy crisis bothers me deeply. Because years ago, uh, in running a nursery program, we used the direct instruction model Uh, That program then was called DISTAR. We taught children between the ages of two and a half to four years old. And by the time they entered kindergarten, they could read. I've also used it with uh, one-on-one tutoring. One of my clients was in the third grade, going into the fourth. And his mother told him that he would never be able to read, so he better be good in sports. And my daughter said my mother can teach him. And so I used the direct instruction model. And within a year and a half, he was on grade level as tested by the school. So this has been one of the most effective ways and efficient ways of teaching children to read.
1: So now with your company, you're going out into school systems or individual schools or you're teaching uh, parents like um, who is the client of your
0: service? Okay, the client is the school itself. So far, we have been in charter schools in Detroit, Michigan, and what we do is uh, contract with the school. And. I have six in my company we I have retired teachers who are certified and they are all trained in a direct instruction model so we test students we place them on the level where they where they need the skills and then we provide the intervention services at this point we do twice a week in small groups virtually the other part is I developed an online class during the pandemic because there were certain entities who wanted me to do professional development, but the pandemic stopped that. So I created an online class called The Course of Action to Literacy. And this is devised to teach any adult, whether a teacher, uh, a parent, someone who works with a community organization or a church ministry, If they want to teach reading, this online course of literacy will help them to do that so they will be successful in instructing children to read.
1: And then do they become kind of that certified um, instructor after uh, going through that program? Or is this something kind of uh, like extracurricular for that parent or this group to kind of do on their own uh, if there aren't resources around them that can help them?
0: Yes, They receive a certificate. I am a direct instruction trainer. And so after completing the seven module um, lesson, then they do receive a certificate of completion.
1: So now... Um... So do you you think it's possible for a parent, just if they don't have resources, to go through this class and then teach their children to read so that the child would have a head start maybe going into kindergarten or into public school?
0: Yes, exactly. And uh, as I said before, the resources and the training, they would be in a great position to use it. So their children can have some basic reading foundational skills before they enter kindergarten.
1: Well, this must be so rewarding uh, for you to do this kind of work and knowing the kind of impact that you're having on individuals and parents and their communities from uh, to give a child that kind of head start and the ability to read. These aren't kind of nice to have skills. These are must have skills. And the sooner they get them, the whole world opens up to them. So uh, congratulations on your work and and thank you so much for taking on this cause. It's so important and it's silly that we're in a situation where if there's a better method, that we're we're kind of not choosing the better method for uh, kind of the status quo. So
0: that's... Exactly, exactly. Choosing the better method. And so what comes into play is philosophies, power, and profit. But there's an answer to that. If we focused on the benefit of the child, what would benefit him or her? What is it that they need? How can I teach them what they will learn? That focus to me provides actions that would help uh, the student. And you are um, absolutely correct. I've gone into classrooms and I've seen fourth graders who could not read. So the teacher puts a textbook in front of them or a workbook. They can't read it. And so I've seen their psychological behaviors. Some of them will withdraw and just become quiet and sad. Others will become defiant with the teacher and others will just act out. Because they are in a place with materials in front of them, yet they cannot master that. So children do it, uh, act out in different ways when that happens. And reading is foundational to everything that we do. So uh, it is my passion. And also, there is great joy when children uh, master it. And we know that we're not only providing these reading skills for now, but we are providing a quality of life. And that makes a big difference.
1: Absolutely. And and there was a time in history when just the general public didn't have access to information and knowledge. But we're living in a time where that is available to everybody on the Internet if they can read. So if you can't read, you're just kind of shutting yourself out on, a, a you know, kind of all of the information that exists in the world that now everybody has access to if they have an Internet connection and can read. So we have to be doing a better job in getting people up to speed with reading as fast as possible, because that's where the opportunity lies. That's where equality lies. That's where freedom lies.
0: Absolutely. You know, just... Yesterday, I had to upgrade my TV, but I had to read to do that, and even with putting in a fire stick requires reading, and if students or adults too, because in Detroit, 50% of the adults are functionally illiterate, and that is a direct result of how teaching, how reading was taught, they don't have that access, just as you said. They don't have that opportunity to explore and investigate the world. They don't have that um, opportunity to solve problems, to solve technical problems, or even to fill out an application. Because I went to one business owner, and I mentioned the literacy crisis. He said it is very real because I was trying to recruit young people to work but they couldn't even fill out the application. So it is a crisis. And the faster we address it with the most effective teaching, then we can help resolve this. I would say that overall within the nation, there are are a lot of people that are functionally illiterate. So according to data, uh, 50% of, of Caucasian students score proficient as tested by the National Assessment of Educational Progress. Only 20% of African Americans score proficient and 34% of Hispanic children score proficient. But looking at it overall, over 50% of the children across the board are not reading proficiently.
1: Yeah, that's not good enough. And it, it's going to hurt our country because then people aren't going to know how to find and discern information about what's true and what's not true, what's a fact, what's an opinion. All of this stuff is all tied together. So to have an educated uh, kind of uh, citizenship is table stakes in a society nowadays. You have to be educated. And in order to be educated, you have to read. And there's, the information is all out there. We just have to be better at getting people up to speed and reading as quickly as possible. And it sounds like you're really kind of holding the mantle to this and really shining a light on this problem. And and I commend you and I thank you for taking on this crisis.
0: Oh, thank you very much for that. When I heard or read the article, I began to do forums because I said parents and communities need to know that there is a resolution. Some parents, again, will say, my child will never be able to read, and that's not true. So it's disheartening. So I uh, had forums at the Northwest Community Center and also at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African-American History, and I just, um, not just, but I was motivated to do that, to hold these forms, to organize them, and to let parents and community members know that there is a resolution. And as you said, this being able to read opens our eyes to to freedom. It opens our eyes to inequalities and history. It opens our eyes to wise men and women who made things change and happen. So again, literacy is foundational.
1: Now, um, in your career, you've written several books on taking on this challenge. Uh, you're doing these forums uh, and you've started this company to kind of help help in this area. What could we be doing for you? What do you need more of right now and how can we help you kind of further the cause?
0: Well, for one, the information about what's happening with literacy. That is one point or one focus because people need to be educated as to the history of reading instruction and that there are resolutions based on the latest um, neuroscience research. And also they can uh, contact me via my website shellymackintosh.com where they can engage in uh in uh reading my blogs and also in investigating or reviewing the books that I have written which for the most part uh, focuses on leadership as a principle and uh literacy i want to backtrack on that the the books that i've written the latest two are called A Principle's Tale. The first edition is Life in 31 Days. And the second one, which was released on Valentine's Day of this year, is A Principal's Tale, A Self-Determined Leader. And um, both of those books go into detail of what it takes to be a, a principal. And uh, in the latest one, it speaks about the literacy Crisis and a literacy dilemma. What I did as a principal to try to curtail that. So, uh, in terms of of helping, I would invite those to visit the website to also purchase the books of uh, principals' tale to get an idea of what principals can do and do differently in schools to help children. Um. And at this point, I am in the process of enrolling those who are interested in a summer course for the course of Action to Literacy, which starts in June. And all that can be visited on my website.
1: And then they have access to that online course you were mentioning earlier as well on the website?
0: Yes, with uh, ShellyMcIntosh.com slash courses. They will be able to see a webinar, which is free, a video, which is free, on the literacy crisis. And on that same page, there is an opportunity to enroll in the course of action to literacy.
1: Well, Shelly, thank you so much for sharing your story today. Again, the website is shellymackintosh.com. That's S-H-E-L-L-E-Y-M-C-I-N-T-O-S-H.com. Shelly, you're doing such important work, and we really appreciate you. Thank you again for sharing your story today.
0: Thank you, and thank you for giving me this opportunity. I really appreciate it.
1: Well, you're giving us the gift of your work, uh, and you should be very proud of what you're doing. It's it's a hard job, and I appreciate you for taking this on. It's so important. It's like you said, it's foundational. We have to get kids reading sooner, faster, more efficiently, where we pride ourselves on saying we follow the science, and there's science that says Shelley's right, and we should be supporting this effort.
0: Absolutely, thank you. And just for the closing uh, remarks, there was an article that came out Detroit News maybe a couple of years ago, and it was entitled "Why Are We Still Teaching Reading the Wrong Way?" Yeah, and and they. Um, about 100 educators were in interviewed. They just didn't want to change their position. But who suffers are the children. That's who suffer. And when we can change our mindset and, again, focus on the benefit of the child, then that can also change our actions.
1: All right. Well, thank you again, Shelly, for sharing your story. And for anybody out there that has a child that cares about children, go to shellymackintosh.com and learn what you can do to help uh, children read faster and at a younger age. This is Lee Cantor. We'll see you all next time on Detroit Business Radio.